And welcome to the Lords of Loud podcast. We're just four guys who enjoy a good debate about music. We thought we'd move our rants and discussions into the podcast era. I'm Lord Ben, Lord of the Lords. I'm the Walrus. As always with me, I have Lord Brett. He is the Eggman. Lord Kev, he is the Scotch Eggman. And Lord Al, he's the Eggplant. Welcome back to the Lords of Loud. Hi, and Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kev. Um, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about bands that were potentially late bloomers or bands that took a little while to sort of warm up and uh, yeah, maybe had a, a, run of, off. a run of dud albums and then all of a sudden just hit the stratosphere. Are we talking about commercial taking off or just no, no, no. personal well general I, I think it can be critical can define, be define it how you like it yeah yeah, yeah. It, sure. I think if there's a personal connection if you believe that they're better than they started mm. that's what, the what could that be yeah. sure sure like and it's not a maybe you couldn't imagine that a band could take such a right right hand turn you know or like you know, you you really want a fan of their early stuff. Then all of a sudden, you know, a new member came in and they really went a whole another direction. So we've done one before about bands that lost. That this is the opposite. This is sort of the opposite. Yeah, I think so. Maybe yeah. maybe it's a redemption or of some sorts. Okay. Or as Al called it, late blooming. Didn't you say you had one you wanted to start with? I did. I did. So if I'll take the floor for the moment. <clears throat> sure. Let me take you back to 1976, and a and a young American enters the scene. Uh, <laughs> and um, he has a he has a German last name. So uh, the the guy who convinced him, um, or, you know, his first record comes out, and the guy convinces him to to not use his last name. I thought it was going to be David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Became no. huge in Japan. <laughs> so really to Germany. <laughs> uh, so between nineteen seventy six and nineteen eighty two. This gentleman, Johnny Cougar, or John Cougar, releases a bunch of albums, and he himself will admit that they're crap, right? And so you would perhaps know him for Hurt So Good, Jack and Diane, Uh yeah? Yeah. You with me, Kev? Mm -hmm. This is how he got married to that lassie to the kneecap, because I always knew him as something else. GMC, right? Yeah, 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 he gets there, yeah. So what's really interesting is that... um, uh, uh, he, he talks about during that period the record companies can't remember the guy who were, who was managing him you know Peter Van Hugensplat can't remember his name anyway uh, he talks about Google being Blank. mismanaged and and uh, being false and, and they even even when he you know he gets a bit of success on the back of of Hurt So Good and Jack and Diane um, you know he talks about them them wanting him to be you know, a state the stadium guy, you know, the next queen or whatever, and he, and he he knows himself that that's not not who he is, right? So he uses the the um, the popularity of it hurts so good and Jack and Diane to claw back some control. He changes his name or the name on the album now becomes John Cougar Mellencamp. So he brings Mellencamp. Do you know why he went with Mellencamp? Well, that's his name. Okay. That is his German really name. Oh, that's oh. his full. That is oh, his actual. Yeah, so, ah, so he's John okay. Mellencamp, and they said, and and the first guy said, "Dump that, you're Johnny Cougar." Oh God, right. Okay. Mm. And then so to gain back some artistic mm. control, John Cougar Mellencamp, because he obviously was worried people wouldn't know who the hell he was, and and so between uh, 1983 and 1990, he he's under that name, and uh, he starts to release some really great albums, uh, Scarecrow in '85. 
um, 87, Lonesome Jubilee. And, and I think if you think back to, you know, Jack and Diane, Hurt So Good, what, what those middle-of-the-road um, uh, rock songs are like, and then you listen to, you know, the Lonesome Jubilee and this song, I'll just play a bit of it. It's not as good, is it? Well, well, it, it, it's a, <laughs> but it, it's an interesting use of. He starts to bring in um, uh, Appalachian yeah, instrumentation, it's, it's bluesy, into it. yeah. so it's got more acoustic to it. Uh, he starts to tour uh, with Lisa Germano, who's a violin player, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it really sort of quite, quite a fascinating um, turn from from that really commercial stuff. Um, You know, mm. uh, uh, accordion. Yeah. You know, so so. Uh, this was a style in the eighties, so, and he probably was one of the first to do it. Yeah, yeah. But I know there was some Australian actors who sort of yeah grabbed onto that and and sort of started to use things like black sorrows. Yeah, sorrows. Yeah, yeah. Sorrows, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did accordions. Took, took that real, yeah. That took that of, real sort of Eastlanders. Bringing back like harmonica and things yeah, into yeah, pop yeah. songs and Zydeco. But it's really interesting because. Um, uh, uh, in the, in the early part of his career, when he was trying to establish himself, um, he was told that he was too hillbilly <laughs> and to dump that shit. Mm. Right? Just back in mm. Germany. Leederhausen and stuff over there. That's right. Put away your leader. No. So, so interesting that, and and we've talked about previously that that artisticness that he <laughs> that he doesn't, you know, he he. he starts to follow his own true self and gets um, probably feels better about himself but also you know get gets some uh, more critical claim at that point mm-hmm. too so um, so so and then from uh, 1991 he then um, uh, goes under the name of John Mellencamp finally reclaims his name mm. so he um, drops the cougar drops cougar completely I'll drop right? there haven't we and <laughs> And then, uh, and then, uh, so I see this as, as a, you know, this this redemption of him, and also the fact that he didn't, he he, he didn't, he he wasn't chasing um, that arena spectacular lifestyle anymore as an artist. It was mm. just about um, can he can he create songs in that the genre that he likes. You know, and and hopefully they resonate. If you've ever if you've ever heard anyone speak about him of late, they talk about the fact that he speaks a lot of truth. In in um, 2008, um, uh, he he released an album "Life, Death, Love, and Freedom," uh, produced by T Bone Burnett. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was the ninth top ten album of his career, uh, and 26 years after starting his career. Uh, he writes potentially, and, and, and not many people know, it, but I think it, it's um, it's an awesome song. And even the great Bob Dylan says it's one of the better songs that was written in the last few years. Hmm. Seems like once upon a time ago, I was where I was supposed to be. 
vision was true in my heart was too there was no end to what I could dream I walked like a hero into the setting sun everyone called out my name death to me was just a mystery as to who is he raising up pain Nothing lasts forever The best efforts don't always pay Sometimes you get sick and you don't get better That's when life is short Even in its longest day I think what's really interesting is that um, First of all, 26 years into a career, you can write a song with, that suddenly everyone goes, wow, you know? Yeah. That's an awesome song. You're like, like normally the, the progression is the older you get, the worse you get because you're, you know, you you lost all your anger, you've lost your touch mm. with human kind or whatever, mm. and you descend into your own, you know, self-indulgence. I think it's really interesting that that, um, that far into your career, you could write something that might actually resonate you know, mm. now I, I got onto this uh, in um, roadies. You know, he he performs yeah. in roadies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, what an awesome song. And then went back and discovered yeah. all the what everyone was saying around it. Mm. Johnny Cash before he died said, mm. you know, I think this guy speaks a lot of truth to. Yeah, I didn't think, uh, I didn't think he had that much credibility. Like I just, mm. you know, I I thought he'd had, you know, obviously the hits that you hear and whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd yeah. never. I mean, I've got a few albums of his earlier albums, but. I'd never thought to think to, yeah, to even yeah. revi- revisit some of them or to visit for the first time some of his yeah. later work. Yeah. So it's an interesting, like an interesting yeah. career progression pathway. Like you've touched on one that's the paradigm of you bring out your first album, it's got all your energy and your ideas, and it's you're new and you're fresh, mm. and you struggle a second. That's a fairly well yeah, recognized yeah, yeah, experience. Yeah. But there's another one that is recognized, which is you come out as a manufactured artist. You know, and it's not who you want to be. You know, yeah, yeah. that you come out as this person who's, um, yeah. I guess this is exactly the model. You, if you can break away from all of that control because yeah. you hate it, you didn't want to be that guy. You didn't want to be, you know, boys on. You wanted to be, you know, uh, whoever the equivalent of boys on is, right? Mm. But. Um, yeah, and I think you know the monkeys are another you know, that followed that. That really worked hard to break out of their contract where they were obliged to do certain things yeah, and be yeah. a manufactured yeah. experience. And they were like, no, we really want to be musicians. How do we yeah, get a yeah. to do this? You know. Well, it would have been the same with with. And the chances um, are, if you've got the energy to do that, yeah, and you become successful, you you hold on to that integrity and you keep having a passion for what yeah. you're doing. Then you you basically got a drive to prove those guys wrong. Well, you didn't need groom to present it. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say the same, you know, and I know we've talked about it before, I've talked about it before, I think it's the same with George Michael. I mean, uh, you go from Wham, you know, and everyone considers Wham to be plastic, you know, <coughs> boxed, whatever. And then you go to some of the to his latest albums, you know, where they were really heartfelt personal experience and you go, there, mm. there's a mile between that and wake me up before you go, go, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah but I mean, who's to say, well, some people actively seek out that fame and they really will do anything to, to get there in the yeah, first place yeah. but then that affords them the chance yes the chance mm. to, to you know they, yeah. they then have the cash background to just go and, and the fan base yeah, yeah. yeah. what they want to do I, I don't mm. know I think it's interesting because what you're talking about is someone who's really fought against it 
who had the chance yeah. to just carry on down that road of like yeah. nah, 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 I'm yeah. bored. I'm yeah. here. Yeah. And, and again, I, I like, you know, and maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I like the idea that, um, you know, maybe your best isn't isn't behind you, because he he wrote that song. Um, probably when he was like 58 or something like that you know would and, like and, that. Yeah. yeah yeah and you yeah. sort of go <laughs> <laughs> sorry i keep forgetting you're 25 um, um but yeah yeah i, I do, you know that it's sort of again it goes against the grain of what you normally expect from rock stars which is yeah your past is hey, behind girly. you you know, and you know, then hopefully dating. burning star style. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and maybe at some point you'll play your greatest hits and we'll and we'll look back fondly upon you rather than no, you're gonna keep trying cranking out some stuff and all oh, shit, yeah. you actually wrote something decent. I mean surely yeah. the vast majority of albums and artists must be one hit wonders for the sense of, you know, that's yeah. the longevity of being allowed to produce things is pretty short yeah. for most people. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, the one that came to mind for me when I thought about this was Fleetwood Mac, um, and it's more of a shift in personnel, which created, you know, yeah, with yeah, the, Peter, the Peter Green era of Fleetwood Mac, the early years in the six, you know, late 60s into the very early 70s, uh, was yeah, it's more, as a, more a straight sort of solid blues mm. band mm. and um, a very good band, excellent. Peter Green, yeah. fantastic guitarist um so and but they just they you know so they were they were very well respected as a band um but didn't could never sort of crack into that next level of of sort of you know fame if you want to call that popularity whatever um and it wasn't until like it's it's one of those bands that's really had two distinct yeah phases you know very quite different to each other too like not even very similar, but you know, as soon as you get Nicks and and uh, Lindsay Buckingham on board, you've, yeah. you know, you've, you're into Take the stratosphere. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, become one of the biggest bands of all time. Yeah. You start yeah. as a small blues outfit and, you know, struggle to, to sell. Well, yeah, they sold a few records, but certainly not, <laughs> not the records yeah. they yeah. go on to no. sell. No. Mm. So yeah. I thought that was sort Good of one. that same Good vein. One. Yeah. Al, you got another one? I, like I, I had, think it's something. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had two. Um, I thought about and probably uh, don't seem very obvious. Well, one was U2 um, because uh, I thought it was only kind of around um, the Joshua Tree, which was seven years after the first album, that they actually could write a whole album of good songs mm. like before it was just like oh well that one's great and mm. <clears throat> the rest yeah it's okay I mean even in Ireland they weren't in terms of chart position um, very popular mm. <clears throat> until the Unforgettable Fire no actually I think they did worse on that one than whatever was before it war mm. um, and then the Joshua Tree came out and everyone went ah yeah, yeah. wow okay you guys they have finally come good yeah. you finally come good yeah. you know they've been working with Eno on a yeah. couple of albums yeah. as well which probably helped the you know having a a um a good uh a good ear yeah. of music and you yeah. know pushing them Absolutely. a little bit I'd imagine and yeah so it all finally came together on the Joshua Tree uh seven years seven years in yeah, when yeah. I when I guess it like they could have given up after the third album, mm-hmm. maybe. That could, or that could have just been, you know, as high as they got. 
in terms of well, songwriting and just, yeah, you know, done no better than that, but to to keep on yeah. improving. Mm. Which um, is which which is interesting too, isn't it? Because you think nowadays in the in the music climate, mm. um, uh, who gives a band seven years yeah. to? Yeah. Sorry, who would invest in a band for yeah. seven years? To then, to you know, in order for them to have that the global success at that point, yeah. I don't think that would happen at all, right? I no, think, not now. I think no. you've got you got one or two albums in you, and then oh, yeah. if you're not, yeah, you're not yeah. even one, one album. If there's no glimpse, then you're you've yeah, gone. Yeah, if you don't I mean, they, they got better chart positions as they went on, but it wasn't anything really consistent until the Joshua Tree, where you look across yeah. all these different countries and you go, "Wow, you guys yeah. have nailed it!" Yeah, and then you nail it for a few albums. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe it was the live; they were they were still good live. Yeah. You know, so maybe that's what supported them enough yeah, to, to, you know, maybe that's what the record company saw that there was some potential there that yep. they, you know, didn't want to let go of just yet. Or yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not like you know there would have been total fail failures. So as long as they kept on paying the bills, mm. then I guess you know why wouldn't you keep? They're like they're gradually getting better, but yeah. it was it was a very long seven years I think before they really hit the straps mm. yeah yeah not um, an obvious one but that's yeah yeah right. the other one that I was thinking of for much the same reason was Pink Floyd actually even though they kind of you know uh, attained some form of celebrity in the early years with the you know psychedelic scene and whatever mm. it they produced uh unbalanced albums I guess yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, until you know Dark Side of the Moon mm. it was just like wow okay you've done it you're still, you're still doing some unusual stuff in there mm. but on the whole you've managed to make a coherent album well that yeah that's an and interesting and then they do case. it again for the next few albums yeah. yeah that's an interesting one because it's you know Piper at the Gates was obviously a, it was very well received at the time and it was yeah. something fresh and new and, and yeah. you know that psychedelic rock thing yeah. uh, <coughs> and had a couple of singles off that which were and around that time you know Arnold Lane and, and Bike and things like that but um, then yeah so it's almost like a <laughs> three phase so they had mm. that and yep. there was that period in the middle up yep. until metal really yeah um, where yeah there were some albums there where they're, they're doing a lot of experimentation but yeah. nothing even looked like being successful or, no, or commercially no. in any way yeah, yeah. again could have easily disappeared or whatever yeah they could have just fallen off the map yeah you know so again for the fact that the record company EMI stuck with them mm. is incredible really yeah and yeah I mean what a payoff <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to Melbourne, yeah, you got Dark Side, you know, the yeah. wall. No, yeah. I wish you were here, yeah. Crikey. And that's that's what artists will need. You know, they'll need hmm. the chance to And back in the day develop labels would support to, you. To like learn that, how to yeah. record and mm. you know, not just have, you know, a bunch of songs that are popular right there, right now, and mm. that's lucky we've nailed it, grab the bag of cash and see you guys later. Like mm. I mean the companies you know. would have still needed just like they do now, then yeah. need, you know, who's gonna be our cash cow? So that we can That's invest it. in the artists that were not, yeah. you know. So luckily, you know, 100% the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> support Pink Floyd. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but that's... Well, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. But, but also... But that was then, this is now, and I think... There was just know. a lot more money in it for record companies then, too. So oh, you, yeah. c- you could sit yeah. on acts longer. Yeah. You know, now, the margins are so thin for record companies that, yeah, you don't see... And, it, and they won't, you won't even see an album come out. It'll be... 
let's do a couple of singles and see if they sell. Mm. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, it's a much less we... investment. Yeah. yeah. You don't, if you can't crack a couple of singles, well, sorry, you know, no chance you're doing a full album. Mm. You know? I was watching a, a movie last night, night before, about a, a label in Glasgow that put out seminal Glaswegian acts like Mogwai, Delgado's, Arab Strap, and um, a few others. But basically, what the guy was saying was, you couldn't do that now. We mm. couldn't have done what we did yeah. then. Now mm, you yeah. feel sorry for bands that they're trying to promote yeah. now, because if they had put out that album in 1993, they would have mm. sold forty thousand units. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "No, mm. it's just not no. even mm. you can't well, no, get the you album out." Yeah, you can't live off the Spotify revenue. You know, tiny yeah, revenue. Yeah. Mm. That's not enough to support, mm. and that's mm. where you're going to release. You mm. know, you've got to rely on someone who can, who can sell out. You know, a stadium tour. You know, or something like that. Like you've got to have a live act that can yeah. make money that way, or hmm. find this some other avenue. To... This is the, that's yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. We're not yeah, talking yeah. about yeah. that yeah. length of time, but you're saying no, basically it's changed we were so flying people around the world. We're yeah. booking tours. You know, mm. We were, you know, giving people guitar techs, and he was just mm. like yeah. amazed that they would even mm. have been able to do that, but they did. Yeah. And yeah. you know, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Well, they talk about it being flipped on its head, right? They talk about that in in the in the past, you you release an album and you toured to support the album. Nowadays, they're releasing albums to support the tour. Mm, mm. We need a reason to tour, guys, because that's where the money is, so you better release an album. Well, so not not even albums. Like they, they will literally release tunes to, like, singles. Like, yeah. the Ariana Grandes are just releasing singles randomly mm. on YouTube, on, you know, on the various music streaming services, and that's just to keep up, you know, the social side yeah. of it. Mm. Yeah. Keep people interested so that when she announces the tour, yeah. boom, there's an audience ready to go for the tour. Yeah. You know, that's, that's crazy. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But that's the only way to make money now. Yeah. You know, it's merch and tours. You're not making money off your record sales unless you are in that very high echelon. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. All those one cents add up and you, know, <laughs> yeah. you do end up with a little a nice packet, but not for your average bands trying to start out. Even, no. you know, even those middle rung bands, they're not making money off Spotify and streaming services. No. Yeah. I was I was uh, I was talking to a mate the other day about Metallica because they're going to tour and uh, he got me curious about the ticket prices not that I want to go see them but it's just like mm. I wonder what they're charging and is it actually worth it. Um, so like they had two sort of two main ticket prices that were left because I think most of them have been mm. sold and one was like 150 I think for a seat on the side and then the uh, in the general admission standing area, mm. it was six hundred dollars, and just like <laughs> that's standing. You yeah. need to stand for two hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And well, where was been. the venue? It was. This is true. It'd be the entertainment center, surely. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Boondall. I think it was um, on the south side. Oh, the, the stadium over there. Yeah, oh, whatever it is. 
No, 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 Gary no. 2. Yeah, yeah Kiwi 2, I yeah, think. Yeah, oh, okay, right. Whatever it's called now. Yeah. Um, so is it a, is it a festival show where there's, like, you know, a massive stream of Monsters of Rock? Or that's just that? them. Just them. Just them and a major... Just them. And what is... Yeah. That's, that's amazing, yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, and that's the thing, like, the, a few years ago, um, I think it was 2015, they did a tour uh, where each... Uh, venue, the punters got to vote on the songs that they wanted to hear, and nearly all the songs, I think it was at least three quarters of the songs, were from the first five albums, mm. and so the remainder were in the, I don't know, seven or eight albums that they've released since then, mm. so that's got to be pretty humbling. But it's obviously yeah. lucrative enough. Yeah. Because they've essentially, sure. you know, they've been going for so long. They're like the Rolling Stones were 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. And they're just, you know, we're just rocking up and playing the hits. And, yeah, yeah. And, yep. you know, yeah. the, the albums really are as much as a, I guess, like to think that they're, mm. you know, doing something fresh and new. Yeah. Are really, Isn't it funny? Really just end up, you know, being, well, here's something, but we really need to tour to make the money. Yeah. Isn't it funny that even bands like that that you would never think back in the day would would you know, sell out for want of a better mm. term are now at that stage where they're yeah. going, oh, well, well, you know. Yeah. Like you asked them 20 years ago, they would have said, oh, we're never going to be the Rolling Stones. We're yeah. never going to be do, you know, doing stadium tours, just doing the hits, whatever. Well, some, some of them probably think of it, yes, they would in the sense that, oh, I'll always play music and as long as, yeah. you know, as long as there are punters, you know, I'll do it for them. Mm. But at some point, I guess it does switch over into, actually, this is a really good job. Sure. <laughs> I'll just keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, look, and, and much easier than writing new material that yeah. works. Yeah. You know, that's the scary thing. It's like, well, yeah, you know, well, no, one wants, no one wants to hear the stuff we do anymore, so let's just play the old stuff. Well, the thing yeah. is, like, they take, they take so long now to write an album. Yeah. And it still comes out a bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, you know, be, be, and that's evidenced by the actual people going to the show saying, we don't want to hear don't it. Don't want to hear it. We mm. want to hear stuff off the first five albums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, that's... When usually it's just like, new album, you're going to hear at least you know, yeah, yeah. half the album. And that's the problem when you, when you do reach that level of success and you're a slave to those to the hits essentially mm. you know you, you yeah, become yeah. It'd be people, people don't want to hear you just spend two hours playing your last two albums yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. like they come to hear the hits so yeah. you you just have to pay that service to the to the fans I mean yeah, they're the yeah. ones they're the ones supporting you to, to write new albums and whatever you know so I guess at some yeah. point I, I, don't have I a thought it was a great idea that they they asked the fans yeah to that do is it, good yeah. but you must sit back as all the results start coming in from different countries, whatever it is going. Of course it's humbling. Oh, yeah. shit, Absolutely. man. They don't yeah. like any of any stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. But I <laughs> don't have a problem with that. It doesn't surprise me at all. And it kind of surprised... Maybe it did surprise them. I don't know. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me as a music fan. I mean, I the vast majority of... Like we've said before, the vast majority of the best stuff of most bands is their you, early stuff. Yes. You, you can't mm. complain with that about that. Like, if you were a, if you bought a ticket yeah. and you turn up and, and then all of, a, all of a sudden all they're doing is playing the last two albums or yeah. whatever for two hours. Like, yeah. You'd be like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have I paid for? Yeah. You know who yeah. does that? The fall. The fall. 
You're learning, my children. You're learning. Uh, that, that's that's one of the few bands that just sticked it there, just like we've got yeah. a new album out. That's what you're fucking hearing. Well, well, to bring it back full circle. What have you got? Yeah, we got time. waylaid there. So, but, yeah. but to bring it back full circle, yeah. I don't imagine John Cougar Mellencamp. Sorry, John Mellencamp would play mm-hmm. Jack and Diane nowadays. I'm pretty sure it doesn't fit in with. You. I bet there's people at the show asking. Well, well, they probably do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. R- He'd be playing. R-O-C-K in the USA. <laughs> I'd be like that. Play Jack and Diane, or I'm wrecking. It's funny just to go full circle again and back to me. I've got a couple. Sound like a finger yeah. of eight. Hey, <laughs> it's a yeah, finger of eight. Right. in two full circles. Or well, well, oh, Brett's brought it back. You know, full circle. I bought one. He wants out. to do ah, I missed you out. Sorry. Yeah, right. We need to go another full circle just to kind of. Well, it's actually more like a... There's a circle and a half. <laughs> yeah, circle and a half. So. Um, when you played John Cougar Mellencamp, or John Mellencamp, Mellencamp um, or I was John? reminded straight away of a band, that I li- or a guy I like, um, called Kurt Fyle, and um, he brought out a couple of beautiful little albums that I, I wasn't previously aware of him, and I heard his name in the background. He used to be Kurt Fyle and the Violators. And he brought out, um, brought these beautiful, like soulful acoustic songs, not unlike your man JC, and um, and I just loved them. I bought them both. I was like, oh, these are so nice and just like flowy and not my usual thing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I should probably play something. Can you can you go cut file and just walking on a pretty day? And the thing about that is that it really sounds a lot like. It's a similar style of music, and I thought, and I did. This is this is blowing everything out of the water. You know about me, okay? Mm. I went back and I went, oh well, I remember Kurt Vile and the Violators, and I listened mm. to it, and I was like, nah, it's not for me. Like, and yeah. it was grungy and noisy mm. and difficult. Yeah. And here's me like listening to this nice, soft, yeah, yeah. kind of lazy, groovy sort of almost like folk rock. Yeah. Kurt Vile. Bring it back full circle again. Oh, God. Just careful how many circles. I know. I'm really caught in a loop. Doing some circle work like a bogan in a car park. Yeah, start jerking his rant. Okay, so here we are. I'm loving my Kurt Vile. Yep. I say to my friend Andrew, let's go and see Kurt Vile. He's playing. We go and see the gig. He's playing by himself. No violators. No wooden band. No band at all. And it's just a show down in there in Brisbane at the Q-Pack Beautiful Arena. And it's rubbish. He just isn't uh, prepared. He's just like... Oh, <laughs> he can hear what this is. It's yeah, yeah, like yeah, groovy, yeah. lovely. Mm. He's got this lazy, nice um, vocal that he does. And it just didn't take. He's just like, sounds stoned. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm what? sure he was, yeah. And he can stop halfway through a song. So yeah. <laughs> Andrew then goes and sees him at Bluesfest with the Violators and he's brilliant. Ah, Phenomenal. Plays the same album same with the actual Violators. Right. He goes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he comes good again. So he's come good twice. Wow. I like it. He himself has come good twice but I keep missing it. <laughs> You're never there when he's... Oh, when you he know, comes. I want to see the guy live. <laughs> and, and anyway... Um, that was the first one I thought. He's like really. a comet. Yeah. He's only, Once every he's only come good 20 years he because I was good. never aware of him being rubbish until I wanted to go and see him and then he got rubbish and then he, when he did get good again I wasn't there for him. So that's the story with that one. So we're done with him? Let me just get rid of that one. Yeah, so who was your other one? I can't remember. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, 
No, I really can't remember. I thought, <laughs> of, I thought of a few different Scottish ones actually. There's um, Primal Scream when they first came out. Yeah. Where like this twee, jingly jangly indie mm. band. Mm. They said their their one single Ivy 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 was um, <laughs> wasn't bad. The rest of everything they put out, I can only imagine just judging by that. And judging by what they went on to do compared to that one single, yeah, um, mm. incredible change, you know, and I, and it goes to that sort of you would think they would have come out with something pretty incendiary that band, but no, it was flat, jingly, and wet, and mm. they just went off and went, hang on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and changed things around a little bit and wrote Scream of the Elite among other yeah, things, but, yeah. Um, the other couple of Scottish ones I thought of as well, but one of them was my favourite ever band. It's a band called uh, My Bloody Valentine. Oh, I thought it was The Fall. What the hell? <laughs> one of The Fall I just love, but um, right. I kind of hate them as well. Jeez. Uh, my what Bloody we, Valentine are, equ- are equally unlistenable, you'll be glad to know. <laughs> uh, but their first incarnation, um, they again, very much like the Primal Scream thing, they had mm. this jingly, you know... Uh, I think it was called Strawberry Wine and Kisses or something, the first album they put out. Mm-hmm. And it just was, you know, yeah. middle, middle eight, of the late, late 80s, yeah. sort of early 90s, pre-grungy indie, you know, and there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, like, mm. subsmiths kind of just, oh, they're yeah. from Ireland, they got some pretty nice little sound there. Nothing compared to what they did. Their next release isn't anything um, revolutionised the way... Yeah, a lot yeah. of music was produced and, and, and you know hugely influential and just in terms of your pitchfork sort of reaction mm. you know massively critically acclaimed and went on to do Loveless mm. which kind of took the guitar to places that were being yeah. like and stuff so that would be mm. my so, so it would be interesting wouldn't it, to, just yeah. to see what especially are you talking like from one album to the next yes be interested yeah. to see what's the catalyst what mm. what happened between them you know like you look at John Mellencamp and, and I can mm. see a progression where slowly he takes more control probably gets more confident probably you know mm. is re, you know affirmed by the crowd but you're talking from one album to the next mm. a, a, an almost 180 degree just, just a kind of an, a half circle Alan McGee from Creation <laughs> Creation Records who saw them more of an and half. they started to play their new stuff he couldn't believe it was the same band yeah, and everything. he'd yeah, signed yeah, them yeah. and he's like oh it was okay oh, wow. and he heard their new stuff and he was just like or I don't know if he'd signed them at that point but he was aware of them Yeah, and they were okay and then he was like this, I can't believe what they've mm. done here I can't yeah. believe how they've turned this into something Primal Scream very similar and, and Miggy signed them as well yeah. so um, yeah maybe it's just him I don't know Crazy. That's my one. The other one I thought of was Super Tramp. I know I've mentioned them a couple of times. They're much maligned. <laughs> but I'm going to keep mm. flying the flag. Conspiracy the, uh, theories abound. Record on the wall. Yeah. They did two albums um, of what was essentially prog rock, a self-titled Super Tramp album and indelibly stamped album, which were both, yeah, much more straightforward prog rock. Um, and then they managed to find a way to blend prog with you know i guess a sound that people could easily digest (laughs) (laughs) well you know where where prog you know you're going for you know 10 minutes on on a riff whatever but this they with and then crime of the century that's the album i'm talking about where they where it just blew up and then from then on you know it was breakfast in america and then and you know they 
they were they were set. But it's just funny that they had those. They were sort of sticking to a particular mould that they'd obviously thought, right, we're going to be a you know a prog band yeah. essentially. Um, and then somewhere along the line, when they went to write that next album, they thought, well. You know, we could make this. There's a way to make this more commercial, or yeah. and, it's, and it's still quite proggy. You know, you listen to those yeah, yeah, yeah. tracks, and it's still, still there. But um, yeah, that was another one I just thought of then. Mm. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks very much for listening, guys, and uh, please tune in again on the Lords of Loud. I'll go full circle. <laughs> one more time. Don't forget to check out our website, lordsofloud.com, and also find us on Instagram and Facebook, both at Lords of Loud. Thanks for listening.